As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. She had the three children and Scott was sitting in the front seat. He saw the gun come up and shot his mum in the back of the head. There's an expectation then that we need this to be solved, we need the community to be safe, so you take on board that pressure. Then, you know, 13 years down the track, you're still going. So we go to this job with the person on fire. They're in a gutter. 
and they were writhing around and people were screaming and I remember thinking, oh, my God, because they were actually on fire. And I can't believe I did this, but I kneeled down next to them and I sort of grabbed the person's hand and I just sort of said, it's okay, I've got the ambos. And the person spoke to me and I can remember when she spoke, I I didn't know who it was and I can always remember the teeth being so white and the person said, Narelle. These are the real voices of Australian true crime. Support us at patreon.com forward slash Aust True Crime Pod and leave us a review wherever you download your podcasts. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. When you're an informer, the people that handle you, your police officers, write up reports and your information goes in a blue folder. And that was in the drug squad offices. We don't know how that blue folder got out of those offices. But in the end, the blue file becomes far more significant because it is a far greater detail of what and exactly who he was informing on. It's a double up this week. We have a brand new episode featuring Narelle Fraser, who is also working hard on a series of her own interviews called the Narelle Fraser Conversations, which can only be heard right here on Australian True Crime. Stay tuned for those in coming weeks. You can also see Narelle live in Melbourne on March 28, and there's a link in the show notes to this episode and on our Facebook page for more details. But on to this extra episode... Last week, we promised you an interview with Mandy Hodson, the daughter of Terry and Christine Hodson, whose unsolved murder still haunts Victoria Police as an organisation and several former members personally. Well, due to a development in Mandy's life, and I'm glad to say it's a positive development, Mandy is unable to join us this week. So we're joined instead by the journalist whose years of dogged persistence led in no small part to the exposure of Nicola Gobbo as Lawyer X, also known as Informer 3838. That revelation led to a Royal Commission, which has uncovered a raft of secrets from Victoria Police's desperate fight against organised crime in the early 2000s. Our patrons can hear the interview in its entirety with all of its extra details, but here are some interesting highlights from a journalist who's been reporting on these stories as they happened for decades. I'm sure you'll find it brings a different perspective, shall we say, to Paul Dale's memory of events, as heard over the last two weeks. One of the big details that we never got around to, because there was so much to talk about, was the blue folder mm-hmm. that went missing that night. Mm-hmm. Can you? Well, yeah, that's what the allegation is, yep. Can you talk us through that allegation, please? It's quite a key element that we never got to talk about. So the blue fold does disappear, but, and I've asked Paul Dale about this, why does it apparently go missing that night. 
When you're an informer, the people that handle you, your police officers, and Terry Hodson was co-handled by Dale and Michel. They write up reports and your information goes, it's supposed to go into a safe. And they kept part of his file, 31 of them, information reports, which can be quite lengthy, about his informing in a blue folder. And that was in the drug squad officers. And Everything it, he's ever told them about everyone else. Uh, well, yeah, at least part of it. But, yeah, it's supposed to be his folder. And it goes missing that night, apparently. And it definitely goes missing. And Paul Dale did go into the office after speaking to Dave Michel. But we don't know how that blue folder got out of those offices. No, we don't. There was a lot of people who had probably had access to them. Mm-hmm. And... They are released into the wider underworld in February, uh, so what, October, November, December, January, February. They are out in February. My God. Is it true that they were faxed around Australia to underworld figures from a fax machine at another Mockbell property? Yeah, they were faxed from Tabor Stables which was a horse stud, and they were faxed and they got to a, a bloke by the name of Mark Smith who was living in Queensland at the time. He was an underworld figure that was known to Hodson. And so they've sort of, the, the, the allegation is basically they go from a mockbell linked fax machine, basically, uh, to, to Mark Smith in Queensland, and they get distributed widely after that. Yikes, my heart's racing a little bit. And so. Terry had informed on quite a number of people, hadn't yes, he? Yes, he was a prolific informer. So Paul and Paul's... Uh, team, I don't know how else to describe them, will say that, oh, who cares? Everybody knew Terry Hodson was an informer. Mm -hmm. Terry was so blatant and the way that the Victoria police were using him was so careless that well before that, everybody knew Terry was an informer. Is that your understanding from your research? Well, this is where it gets a bit complex. Mm. There was one sheet of Terry's informing already out there. Uh, Its name is IR44. And it, it got into the hands of Mock Bell sometime earlier, but nothing happened. I mean, we're talking years. It sort of, Nicola Gobbo around about this point in time had also made inquiries of Dave Michel. This is years, a year before the burglary. It made, made inquiries about, you know, this informer number that kept um, coming up in court cases and in and briefs of evidence. And she'd figured out that it was Terry Hodson and her clients would have wanted to know who it was. So when she's asking these guys who were handling Terry, they would have known that it was getting around. And they actually changed his number. So that might sound a bit confusing, but in all of these secret little complex arrangements, his number was turning up in in briefs of evidence. Say the Mock Bells and and other drug people of the time were seeking out, well, who's ratting us out? And they'd figured out it was him. It's a pretty gossipy world as we've established too. You would think Terry would know that it was out and about, wouldn't you? I think his son, Andrew, who was a friend of Mockbell, was shown a copy of that. But in the end, the blue file becomes far more significant because it is a far greater detail of what and exactly who he was informing on. One sheet compared to 31 large sheets really was a, a significant part of the investigation into what happened to Terry Hodson. The situation that occurred and why this is such a significant crime is because not only Terry was killed, his wife was killed alongside him. 
And um, by the time they were killed, Terry had decided to inform upon his handlers. So he begins talking about Dave Michel and also Paul Dale as having organised this burglary. And this is where the story gets complicated because who wants him dead? Who has a motive? Even Paul Dale says that he has a motive, but so does everyone who ever got that file. Potentially 32 people, yeah. 33 people. Oh, even you more. Count the, yeah. So, hmm. And that's potentially why the blue file got out there as a smokescreen. Oh, That's I a keep, suspicion. I keep getting these mind drops each week when we think about this. I'm like, oh, something different to think about. After the break, when did Anthony Dowsley start to suspect something was up with everyone's favourite lawyer, Nicola Gobbo? Coming up on Australian True Crime, the legal threats Anthony worked around for years to report these stories. But first, in 2010, Paul Dale was charged with commissioning the brutal murder of Terry and Christine Hodson, and Carl Williams, the police's only witness, was murdered in prison. What did Anthony Dowsley make of that? When the murder case for the Hodson's murders, so you've got two people gunned down in their own home, and so then Carl's murdered, the case, the, the Hodson murder case just falls apart completely and suddenly no one can be charged for that. Is that when you start to feel like there's something weird going on? Oh, yeah. I always thought there was, there was, there was weirdness going on from the moment that Nicola Gobbo decided to wear a wire. Right. And it's not that she who she did it to. Um, it's more that you don't find criminal lawyers who have responsibility to ethics and so forth doing something like that. It, it is against the grain. I, I don't sit here and say that she was necessarily Paul Dale's lawyer, but what I do say is that it's a really odd move for a criminal barrister to wear a wire and become a witness because you're throwing your career away. When did you get a vibe that you thought she might be acting in a similar way with people who were definitely her clients? Well, there was always a closeness that you were aware of, but she's she's not on a Pat Malone with uh, with having a closeness to clients. But when did you think she might be informing? Well, it became uh, more apparent when I was watching the court cases and how she sued. She sued Vic Pohl before, just before the trial was supposed to happen. The, the court hearings were happening in the murder trial of, of over the Hodsons. Carl started to catch on about two thousand and six. Uh, yeah, Carl right? and Roberta started yeah, sending yeah, yeah official letters yeah, saying ethics board and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, but that, no one knew about that. That was all done sort of privately. Yeah, okay. um, they're not open hearings. I had no clue that he was doing that, no. um, and and they weren't that verbal about it. You know. I, I didn't hear about any of that until I started looking at this in 2014. Don't you find that interesting? I had this image of Carl and Roberta Williams as really ostentatious yes, I was thinking and outrageous. Too. And when I found out that they had actually taken this really formal route mm. of complaint against Nicola Gobbo quite quietly, I thought, oh, I didn't expect that. I expected they would actually would be telling journalists and being really bolshy about it. Well, I don't know about their outrage. What what was occurring in 2006, seven was that Williams was dealing with his own murders in prison. Like, so he's, he's, he's in jail. He's, he's charged with a series of murders and 
he is realizing that his his some of his associates are rolling, and he realizes that Nicola Gobbo has acted for him and acted for them. So he he's he's at least cluey enough to work that out. Yeah. She's also visiting people she's not acting for yeah. and suddenly they're rolling. That's when he starts to really jerry. Well, he, he's, also, he's also, before he's, um, he's, he was actually arrested, he was trying to make her make sure that people that could inform on him would not. Mm. So he wanted people to be staunch and be loyal. But, you know, some of those people had grievances. Paul Dale asserts that one of the big problems that he's had is the media machine that is Vic Pohl's media unit and that journalists will always err on the side of Vic Pohl because they rely on being in good with with the media unit because they need you need to be able to get cooperation from the media unit to get tips and all that kind of stuff and so that if you report negatively about them you'll you'll get on the outs with them and you won't get the stories now if anyone maybe would run the risk of being on the outs because you seem to have written some stories, you know, you're writing the truth of what's happened and what is happening and what's happening in the Royal Commission and all that kind of stuff. So what do you think about his assertion that journalists have to write whatever Victoria Police tell them to write? And if they say, shit can Paul Dale, that's what you'll do. He's running an argument that Vic Pohl have power because they have information. That's an argument. They do have information. They have great stories. They are the ones that investigate cold cases. They are the ones that investigate high-level crimes, interesting crimes, mock bell and the like. A lot of journalists have chased after good police contacts, yeah. um, and, 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 and that is true. But for him to run an argument that um, Vic Pohl have been basically calling in journalists and trying to get them to run stories about Paul Paul Dale and David Meeshall and Terry Hodson and their deaths, those stories are going to be written about whether police speak to us or not. The stories that I've written about Paul Dale and about Vic Pohl, generally they don't like because some would say that they sparked the Royal Commission into police conduct. I would absolutely given, say that, yes. Is, which has given some someone like Paul an ability to tote what he wants to tote out there. And that is that he he is the he he's now saying he's the victim of some in, incredibly large conspiracy to frame him, um, and that there's no evidence against him. But the fact of the matter is that evidence has never truly been fleshed out in a court of law. Well, what he said to us, in fact, the first thing he said to us is that the royal commission proves everything he's ever said. Well, that's completely incorrect. I love that conviction you said it. <laughs> You're laughing. I, I laughed at him when he said it. I said, I wouldn't go that far, mate. No. And he said, oh, all right. But, that, that, but he says it with such conviction. He really believes that the entire Royal Commission has has proven everything he's ever said. No, it hasn't tackled. That. It has not tackled the allegations in a robust way. Mm. And it's not there to do that. That's what people need to understand. It is there to identify a small area of this. Uh, within their terms of reference, which is do police use people with professional responsibilities and, and confidences and privilege and, and what effect did it have? Mm. Not did Paul Dale or anyone else commit the Hodson murders? That's not what they're there to do because I'd love to know. The lack of inquest into Carl Williams' death is yep. 
he can be whoever he is, yep. but the fact is it's it's outrageous. The circumstances around his death have never been investigated through an inquest. No, don't you you don't have to like Carl Williams. Yeah. And, and you can't, you, you don't have to agree with anything he did in life. I mean, you know, here's the facts. He orchestrated killings. He he was a prolific drug dealer, and he headed a criminal gang. That is that is a point very separate to um, should a person who's killed with a piece of exercise bike, a stem of exercise bike, and it takes twenty seven minutes to find him after having cardiac arrest in the most secure unit, while in the situation and circumstances that he is in, and cooperating with police, should you have? Uh, a result to the, to what really happened? Should you investigate what really happened? Of course you should. There were listening devices, they said dormant, all over that cell. What are they? What are they listening to, or what were they listening to before they switched them off? Does not Who pass put them the pub test. It's it's extraordinary stuff. Mm. What else was going on? I mean, Nicola was allowed to basically go in and out of the prison and visit whoever she wanted. And I th- it was almost not on record. I mean, it was just extraordinary stuff in a secure location. I believe she's suing again. Yeah, yeah she'll sue. She, she's trying to sue again. She's getting a lot of money. Well, a lot of people are. I mean, I've heard from a number of people in the last week or so that they are hopeful that their particular settlements that they've been chasing for 10, 15 years will soon be settled. How much money do you think? I mean, I guess it's like how long's a piece of string, but this is actually going to cost a lot of money, right? Mm. Um, there are a lot of people who have been notified that their cases may have been tainted. There are the Royal Commission came up with a number initially of one thousand two hundred ninety-seven people that they've identified. I think that's just everyone in in the period she was informing that may have used her services. That doesn't mean the cases were tainted. I, I'm not sure what the, why that figure was put out, yeah. but it's they've identified that many people. It's probably just everyone she ever acted for. Mm-hmm. But um, We've had one murder conviction overturned and now so many other people yeah, yeah launching yeah. appeals or whatever. Yeah, and the murder conviction was overturned because of Nicola's conduct mm-hmm. and the police doing something about the information she gave them which was to basically turn the courtroom into a a bit of a nothing really it was she prompted up a witness against her own client i mean that's just the stuff of movies you just don't see that happening and i've never heard of it actually telling the police to get the crown witness against your client to sort of you know be staunch and keep going we were talking about her particular circumstances. She's got children. She's declined witness protection. What's your take on that? Because as you said, it's it's a pretty risky kind of proposition when you're a mother. Your life potentially could be in danger because of your activities. Yep. There's a few suppression orders around this area, but I think it's fair to say that Nicola's never wanted to agree to go into witness security, even though Police spoke to her at length about it uh, on several different occasions. She seeks protection and she seeks money, finance, to keep her lifestyle going, but she will not go. She's defiant that she will not go into any kind of police program because she says she doesn't trust them. And she can probably afford better protection by suing them That's true. than what they would give her. Well, she sued them once so yeah. she could sue them again. Yeah, and I, I reckon she'll get a lot more this time. She got $3 million last time. 
Uh, Tip 188. It seems like peanuts compared to what she'll get this time. Well, she went for 20 million last time. Yeah. Or she'll get it this time. Um, Will she? Don't you reckon? Well, what's her point? Is she pushing her luck too much? I think her point this time is that this time she it does feel like she has made an argument for for victimization. She's had a stroke. They're still pushing her. They didn't push her. Um, well, they allowed her, her, it. Her, her, her informing in, in, in being registered comes quite some time after a stroke. Well, it comes before and after, though. Well, she's 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 thrilling to inform. She's attempting to inform yeah. in very short stints and failures all the way up to 2005 when her official – so there's three stints, but the big stint is from 2005 to 2009. That's when she, she sort of gives them the pay dirt they want. But she wants to sue them for her decision to inform on her own clients – and she was trying to inform not only on her own clients, but the people she worked for, her bosses, from the time, from before, well, she even got a law degree. So she's a student. She's trying to inform. She's lied to get in and downplayed what happened with the drug bust that she had in 1993. She never would have been approved to become admitted to the bar if she'd been transparent about that, would she? Well, her affidavit that she made to the board was not entirely truthful. She then spends a bit of time working. She has relationships with, um, you know, she chats to police in powerful positions. One was Wayne Strawn, who, who ends up being a corrupt cop himself. And, and she just gets passed along the line until she's playing both sides She's while she's willing to, you know, drink and socialise and inform to the police. She's doing similar things passing the information back to the criminals and she's socialising and, and you know, all forms of socialising. Uh, and, and it's just going backwards and forwards. It's, it's not a one-way street. If people think this is one straight, it's not. It's going every which way and she's just in the middle of everything and she just loves to go to the next person, accumulate information, and no matter who the next person is, she'll give them something. And, and, and that's what happened with Hodson as well. What does, how does Andrew Rule put it? What is it running with the... Oh. Hares and hunting with the yeah, hounds. Yeah, something like that. How long was the process of trying to working with the lawyers for News Corp? Yeah, you broke this story back when you couldn't name her, when the front page of the Herald Sun was this black page that just said Lawyer X. Well, it was, it was, it was some research, so it just didn't go straight to press. And we got, I wrote up a bit of a draft and then I thought this could get out. There was something about it I thought could get out. So we actually got one story out and um, we could have named her. We could have named Nicola in that story, but we chose not to because um, we were very – I called Vic, Vic Pole up, Victoria Police up, and I was very concerned, obviously. It's not every day you name an informer, and you don't name an informer unless you've got a really good reason to. Yeah. It's because it's just danger. You just don't do it. And the reason was is there was a true public interest, as, as has been pointed out by everything that's happened since the Royal Commission and so forth. But we decided not to name her. I rang police. I rang her and and we printed one story. But on that night, before the story, while the story was going to press, uh, we called Supreme Court because I had told them what I was doing. And so they she thought, was not, obviously not in hiding. She was still in Melbourne? She was in Melbourne. She was you know, living as normal. Wow, okay. And so what happened is we had to, our lawyers had to meet their lawyers, um, and they did a bit of a deal uh, outside the Supreme Court to basically erase some of the article and leave some as is because we were going to have to poll petitions. And they didn't, it was costs and things. They just, they just wanted to nut it out. So we got rid of some information 
And it was a bit frustrating because I had planned to do a larger piece to begin with and, and get it all out, but we couldn't. And then we had, we continued to work on it. We did a story or two, but then an injunction came, another one came in because we had, I had so much material. It was just going to roll it out day after day. And we were injuncted and um, there was an, we couldn't run a story. So we had to write an editorial and, you know, we put that big X on the front page. And, and then what happened from there is that because the suppressions keep coming one after the other and were injuncted, I had to find ways to write about it, but be very careful in how we wrote it. And that's what happened for the next four years, five years. Wow, that's amazing. Until ultimately the injunction was dropped in, was it December 2018? Uh, December 20, November 2018 is when the High Court made its decision and we were allowed to publish in December, yeah. December the 3rd, and that's the day they called the Royal Commission. How did that feel? It must have been pretty exciting and gratifying, <laughs> is it? All that hard work and just, were you a bit uh, scared as well? Uh, just adrenaline and relief in some ways because, uh, like, I thought it was justified that, that, they, that the government would act like that. I don't think they would have wanted to. No, I don't um, think so. And a lot had <laughs> gone on in those years to shut it all down. And that was what the fight was. We got, I think I, I got numerous letters from Victoria Police's lawyers, which are the government lawyers. They, they, I think there was more than a dozen saying that you could be prosecuted. And I had to sort of find ways to tell the story without breaching suppression orders. And what was going on behind the scenes and in secret, there were people, prisoners basically coming forward. One was Rob Caram. He's involved in uh, the importation of 15 million ecstasy pills oh, and the, tomato tins. The famous tomato tins. Yeah. So what was I doing in those five years? I was looking at all the different cases, one being tomato tins, others being what happened to Williams, others Mockbell, all of the different killings, all the clients, oh, yeah, of all of the court cases, what had happened, had her name come up, things like that, all little little pieces of the puzzle. Mm. Did you have like a big board like on the movie? I was just thinking the pins and the all the photos. The photos no, no, we didn't have any of that. Or did um, you do just a manila folder with you? I, I can't remember. Because you know when they make the movie, you will have had yeah, a big right. board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, the there was no up. board. I just had it at a desk. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but journalists are being made redundant um, these days. Yes. And there was a floor empty. So there was, there was barely any furniture. Yeah. Just, it was like a ghost town. And I thought, oh, this is the last thing I'll ever do. We were in this <laughs> unusual situation where we sat in, a, in, a, in an old boardroom together um, typing away. Yeah getting this sort of online thing ready to go if, if, if it happened to ever happen that the story could be told. Wow. So we put together, you know, 20,000, 30,000 words that just sat nowhere for, I don't know, a year. Yeah. Um, you know, an apps, I know that system a bit having worked at Leader. I'm hoping no one accidentally <laughs> publishes it or something. <laughs> I remember doing the training. God. So it was um, – so, so when it came about, I, I was just really interested because – um, it wasn't so much, oh, you know, I've done it or any any strange feeling. It was more, I'll finally know for sure the detail of what I've been looking at because the Royal Commission will get to it. It must be very gratifying and yeah. it's a good, it's a really good example of just doggedly pursuing a story because it is, you know, with the landscape as it is now, it's hard to, I think it's hard to be a journalist and it is, it's really important. Well, it's amazing what actually is going on. Mm. I've been amazed by the Royal Commission. I mean... Sometimes I know what's coming because I spent so long looking at it, but 
the, the, the level of detail and what actually happened still amazes me. What yeah. surprised you then? What some of the things oh, that surprised you coming out of it? Just the, the amount of people that knew, the levels it got up to, the that no legal advice from, from Victoria Police was ever sought until 2011. Look, I think there's a little bit of unfairness from us as the public in forgetting the pressure that was on at the time. Yeah, no, I get it. Because we applied a lot of pressure to police and a lot of pressure politically to make it end. And so yeah. it's unsurprising really that no, no, people no, started applying these yeah. ridiculous policies and outrageous measures. Yep. And, and the checks and balances started to dissipate? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see what had happened. You've got informers ending up, you know, in, in murdered murder victims. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I think when Jason Moran was murdered at Auskick, yep. I think that was a massive turning yeah, point where the was. community said, enough, yep. this is out of control. And the politicians were saying, do something, do anything. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. Yeah, but and, and, and that's all correct. And they, they set up. Uh, different ways to handle informers within police, which was apparently, well, they would write more down. It wasn't as ad hoc as it used to be. And that's all well-intentioned. But uh, probably um, just to counter that, there were moments when the light bulb went off and they're in situations where they know that they are involved in something that they don't want to be happening. Oh, the number of people who said there's going to be a royal commission yeah, about yeah, we're this. We're in trouble here. Yeah, and it, but because she was thrilling to informing so much, that it's almost like, uh, and these aren't my words. This is these are their own words. It, it, this is Simon Overland's own words. It was like we were addicted to her. Yeah, or addicted to it. Um, addicted to her informing. Um, they just it just she was just so thrilled to inform everything she knew to them that um, they, it just too hard to resist. And she's admitted it as well, mm. you know. She's admitted it was pathetic. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was I was addicted to the the thrill of the acceptance and the, you know, I wanted people to think well of me. And yeah. She's probably changed a bit since she, you know, became a mum and she had her health battles. But yeah. do you think people were immobilised, people in positions of authority and influence were immobilised by not knowing what to do or being scared of the consequences? Absolutely, because by becoming involved in this unsavoury kind of muddle, people's jobs are on the line. They realise, oh, have we preferred the course of justice? Have we done this? Are we in trouble? Big careers are on the line. Um, it's not every day. Everybody has said that when they learnt, including Simon Overland, when they learnt that she was about to inform them, they thought that was problematic and they were right. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, made in partnership with the Acast Creator Network. Don't forget the whole interview can be heard by our wonderful patrons like Raylene Creed, Alison Baker, Katie Douglas, Kate Breton, Ilana Lamont and Marie Brighton. And Marie Brighton. And Marie Bryant. Got there. We'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.